preaching time. Amen. Take your Bibles, turn with me, please. Just open it up anywhere. I'll be there in a minute. We're in the Gospel of Luke this morning. Luke. Luke chapter number 13. Luke chapter number 13. Everybody looks so nice today, all dressed up in their spring colors. I dusted off this vest. First time I've wore a three-piece suit and I don't know how long. Only three-piece suits you normally see in Dundalk is the three-piece Ravens outfits. It's a jersey, pajama bottoms, and purple Crocs. That's the three-piece suit that you normally see in Dundalk. Come on now. Y'all know that was funny right there. Are you in Luke chapter number 13? If I'd have shaved my head this morning, y'all would have thought I was T.D. Jakes, wouldn't you? Let's stand, Luke chapter 13. <laughs> verse number 31, Luke 13, verse 31. The same day there came certain of the Pharisees, saying unto him, Get thee hence, and depart hence, for Herod will kill thee. And he said unto them, this is Jesus talking now, Go ye and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out devils, and I do cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. I want to preach for a little while this morning on the perfecting on the third day. Amen. Lord, help us as we turn our hearts and our minds to the scriptures. I pray that you'd fill us with your spirit. And your anointing, may God's people have liberty to listen and may you do work in the heart, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. So, first of all, before I go any further, if you don't like the message, you've got to blame Kevin Lawrence for sending me this verse a couple of days ago. Because the minute he sent it to me, I said, now that right there is what I'm talking about. So, Brother Kevin, this is all on you, buddy. you got my wheels to turning. And when I read that verse, there were several things that really just began to minister to me. And I began to sit down and study and begin to work on this. Now, I've got this morning, I got a lot of Bible. Can y'all handle that? A lot of Bible. Uh, I figured out today why a lot of preachers get up and tell stories the whole time they preach. It's because they didn't study. You could tell stories all day without studying. But if you're going to get up and give Bible, you've got to get in that book. And I have been studying, and I came up with some things this morning that has just blessed my heart. And so um, I'm going to give you probably the introduction and the first two points this morning, and then maybe tonight we'll get to that last point. There's no way I can preach all of this in one message. Well, I could, but your pot roast might burn, and I wouldn't want that to happen. Uh, but I've got a couple things this morning by way of introduction that I want us to notice, and I'm going to jump right into this because I've got a lot of ground to cover the first thing that I notice in our text by way of introduction is the insolence of the Pharisees. When you read verse number 31, the Bible says, The same day there came certain of the Pharisees, saying unto him, Get thee out and depart hence, for Herod will kill thee. Now, there's been some speculation as to whether or not these Pharisees were just trying to be nice and trying to look out for Jesus and trying to help him get out of town 
before something bad happened to him. There's been some speculation about that. And as I was researching and studying, I realized that not every single one of the Pharisees were all the same kind. They were different sects and different groups of Pharisees. But this, be honest with you, as you study these verses and you understand that the sister passage is Matthew chapter 23, you have to understand they were not trying to get him out of town because they were concerned about him. They wanted him gone. Just keep your place there. In Matthew chapter 23, we find the sister passage in this other gospel. And we find here in chapter 23 of Matthew, starting in verse number one, I will not read this chapter, but let me just go ahead and tell you, in this chapter, Jesus turns the Pharisees every which way but loose. Okay, I mean, he starts out uh, exposing them for their lies, exposing their hypocrisy, their wicked hearts. And, and you get down to the end of chapter 23 and you find the same verses, verse number 37 and 38 that we find at the end of Luke chapter 13. So I think it clarifies that in this passage of scripture, the Pharisees were not concerned about Jesus' safety. They literally walked up to him after he got done preaching and said, get thee out and depart hence. Well, what a arrogant group of people they were. And they were not trying to protect him. They were just trying to get rid of him. And instead of, of them owning their hatred and their contempt, they tried to pass it off and blame it on Herod. Jesus wasn't preaching to Herod or about Herod in Matthew 23. He was preaching about them. And they wanted him, they literally said, get thee out, get out. When you find another place in the Bible in Mark chapter number five, where Jesus was talking to a man in the Gadarenes, we call him the demoniac of Gadara, he had legions of demons within him. And the Bible says that when Jesus began to speak, the demons that were within that demon-possessed man, you know what they said to Jesus? Get thee hence, get out. They didn't want him there. Depart from our country, depart from our regions. And whenever you find somebody that, that, that when Jesus is talking, they want him to get out, there's a problem. The Pharisees had a problem with Jesus from his whole ministry everywhere he went. They were against him and they were trying to shut him up and they were trying to trick him and they were trying to trip him up. And, and this was something that Jesus dealt with throughout his entire ministry. And we see that in the verse, the insolence of the Pharisees. They said, get thee out and depart hence for Herod will kill thee. Secondly, we see the invincibility of the prophet. I love Jesus' answer in verse number 32 and verse number 33, he said, go ye and tell that fox. By the way, you say, well, Jesus would never call anybody names. You hadn't read your Bible. He called Herod a fox in these verses. And he says, you go tell that fox in verse 32, behold, I cast out devils and I do cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must walk today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. We see the invincibility of the prophet. I love Jesus' response here. He was not at all intimidated by these Pharisees threatening to have him killed or saying that Herod wanted to have him killed. And, and the essence of his message here, he didn't back down. He didn't cower. He basically looked at them and said, you go tell that old fox, he can't touch me. Right. Basically what he said. By the way, he's talking here about Herod. Uh, this is not Herod the Great, the same one, by the way, that 30 years earlier, this was his father that had tried to have him killed when he was a baby. 
And now his son, the second Herod, is now being accused of trying to kill the Lord Jesus. And I can almost imagine, maybe Jesus didn't say it, but maybe Jesus was thinking, uh, Herod's daddy tried it and it didn't work and it ain't gonna work with him either. Jesus knew that he was going to die. He was aware that he had to die and he knew when he would die. He knew how he would die and he knew where he would die and his message to the Pharisees and to Herod in this verse simply was this. I'm gonna keep on doing what I've been doing. I'm gonna go cast out some devils. I'm gonna go find some sick people and I love the way it's worded. I'm gonna do cures today and tomorrow. I like that. Divers diseases, no matter what their problem was, they brought them to Jesus and there was not a single problem ever brought to Jesus that stumped him, that he could not handle, that he could not heal, that he could not touch, he could not transform their life. I've heard it said even recently, someone we were talking to about getting saved, they said, I don't think I can get saved. I'm too bad of a person. I've done too many wrong things and yet there's yet to be anybody ever on the face of this planet that was too sinful or too bad off that God couldn't help it. Jesus couldn't save them. And he said, I've got, I've, I've, got, I've got to walk today and tomorrow and the day following. Basically, he said, I've got a plan. I've got a purpose and I've got a mission and Herod is not gonna stop me. The insolence of the Pharisees, the invincibility of the prophet. Thirdly, we see the indictment of the people. Jesus continued speaking in verse number 34 and 35. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings and ye would not, what a statement. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate and verily I say unto you, you shall not see me until that time come when you shall say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So we see the indictment, this statement by the Lord Jesus Christ is one of pending judgment and desolation. And in Matthew 23, the sister passage that I keep referring to, and boy, when I was reading, I kept going back and forth and reading the context of this conversation. Jesus in Matthew 23, as I said, he turned these Pharisees every which way but loose. He ended this, this expose. He ended this, uh, this pulling the mask off of these religious leaders with some serious indictments. Here's what he said in Matthew 23, verse number 33, you serpents, you generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them you shall kill and crucify. And some of them you shall scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. That upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Barachias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. Then he goes into the verses that we find in our text in Luke 13. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how oft would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you Desolate. The indictment that he had here was from a broken heart where he said, I've tried to gather you as a mother hen tries to gather her brood, tries to gather all of her little baby chicks under her and you would not come to me. You would not let me have that kind of relationship with you. And the statement that he gives is, and ye would not. What an indictment. The judgment of God. By the way, I believe we could say 
that this prophecy was partially fulfilled just a few chapters over. When you get to Matthew chapter number 27, they're standing in the street saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, release unto us Barabbas. And here's what they said, let his blood be on us and on our children. In our text in Matthew chapter 23, that is exactly what Jesus said would happen. He said that you will crucify and kill and scourge the prophets and that verse number 35, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth. Just a few chapters later, we see that starting to happen. God will always hold people accountable that had access to truth and rejected it. He said, I sent scribes. I sent unto you, I sent unto you uh, wise men. I sent unto you a uh, men of God to tell you what I said. And you scourged them and you crucified them and all these things. God has a serious response to people that do that to truth. Can I say this this morning? It's in my notes, but I'm going to say this. America has been exposed to a lot of truth down through the years. And they've turned their back on most of it. We're sending missionaries all over the world. We're sending missionaries out as fast as we can vet them and take them on. We're taking them on two a week right now. And we're trying to get them into every nation. But I'm going to tell you something. Hell's going to be hot for people that lived in this country that had access to the truth that we've had and rejected and turned their back on God. God takes that very serious. In fact, you get over to Proverbs chapter number one, we find a sobering reminder of what God said about people that use that and would not. We find that and you would not. I wanted to be like a mother hen and you would not. When I read that, I thought about Proverbs one. Verse number 24 down through verse number 29, Jesus, uh, the Bible says, because I have called and you refused. I've stretched out my hand, no man regarded, but you've said it not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. You didn't want nothing to do with me. I reached my hands out. I called you. I tried to get you. I tried to bring you in. I tried to love you. I tried to let you know what I have for you and you didn't want anything to do with it. And because of that, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me, for they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. What a powerful group of verses. Jesus is standing there, look at these Pharisees, and he says, if anybody ought to know the truth, it ought to be you. These scribes whose job it was to literally transcribe the Old Testament and write the scriptures, they knew it by heart. And yet he stood in front of them and he said, I am the fulfillment of the scriptures. I am the one that's been promised. I'm the one that God's been telling you would come. And they rejected him. And here's what he said, blood's gonna be on you. It's gonna be on you. Boy, some powerful statements. Well, I got almost distracted just looking at all of that, but I want to get back to that statement that we find in verse number 32, where Jesus said, and the third day I shall be perfected. Boy, what a statement. Let me just throw this in here. All right, Jesus was already perfect. In the sinless, spotless son of God aspect. The Bible's clear. First Peter chapter number two, verse 21 and 22. For even hereunto were ye called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. In fact, Pilate in John, the gospel of John, three times in John 18 
and John 19, Pilate stood before the people and confessed and said, I find no fault in this man. What a testimony from a sinful man, a wicked man, an ungodly man, a heathen man. He said, I find no fault in him. The Bible tells us, the apostle Paul wrote the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So in the fact that Jesus was sinless and spotless and that he was the son of God, he already was perfect. But here's what he said in our text. And the third day I shall be perfected. What does it mean? Well, here's what the the word perfected means. Look on the screen. It literally means to make perfect. It means to complete. It means to carry through completely. It means to finish, to accomplish, and to bring to an end. That's what he meant in verse number 32. So basically, what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees in essence was this. You Pharisees may want to finish me off, but that's not going to happen today. Herod, that fox that you want me, he may want me off the scene. He may want to get rid of me like his granddaddy tried to get rid of me. But that's not going to happen because I still have work to do. Jesus said in John chapter 4 and verse number 34, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Nobody was going to stop that. And of the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross, we were talking about it this morning with Brother Ron. He said one of the most powerful statements that drew him to salvation was the final words of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. He said, who, when they are dying, says it is finished? I said, somebody who came to do a specific task. That's who says it. And that's what he's talking about when he said on the third day, he said, I will be perfected. Jesus was acknowledging that his work was incomplete, but that it would be perfected on the third day. I begin to look at that. What what was perfected on the third day? What is he talking about? I came up with several things. I want to give you two of them this morning. Let's look at them. Number one, on the third day, the Savior's prophecies would be perfected. All throughout the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, he made multiple references to his death and to his resurrection. He prophesied during his ministry that he'd be crucified and that he would rise from the dead. He said in John chapter 10, verse number 18, no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. And I was talking this morning and I said, the older I get, the longer I'm in the Bible, the longer I study, I don't know but what as powerful of a miracle as the resurrection was, equally is amazing to me is his ability to die. This is the one that said, I am the resurrection and the life. This is the one that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. For him to be able to die is a miracle to me. I mean, that's amazing to me. And, and, and throughout the scriptures, they tried several times. They tried to take him. They tried to, they tried to, they thought about taking him, but they could not. They didn't have the power to kill him because he was the God man. You do believe that, don't you? Jesus was not just a good man. He was the God man. He was the son of God. He was God in the flesh. Hanging on that cross, he said, it is finished. And he gave up the ghost. The other two male, the male factors on either side of him, the, the soldiers came and broke his leg, broke their legs. 
So they would go ahead and die. They would have the, they would have the tendency to just, uh, as they were hanging there, they would push up and they would get an extra breath and, and they would fill their lungs with air and they would just drop back down. And after a couple of days of that, they'd just be so exhausted that they would su- literally suffocate on the cross and they w- would break their legs so they couldn't keep breathing because they wanted them to go ahead and die so they could take them down. And they came to Jesus, he was already dead. So they didn't break his legs, they just took a spear and thrust it into his side and the Bible says that blood and water came out. But he was already dead. They didn't kill him, he gave up the ghost. He said, no man taketh my life from me, I lay it down. It was a willing sacrificial death. And Jesus talked about it multiple times in his ministry, the disciples didn't understand it. He talked about dying and, and rising from the dead and they didn't understand it. And make no mistake, he was crystal clear in multiple places that the resurrection would occur on the third day. That is important. Multiple times he said, and this is significant. Jesus prophesied he'd be in the ground three days and three nights. Matthew chapter 12, verse 39 and verse number 40. The Bible says, but he answered, said unto them, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. Talking about Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the well's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You say, well, it doesn't really matter when he died. All that matters is that he died, he was crucified, and that he was buried, and that he rose again. No, it does matter because the only sign he gave them was the sign of Jonah. I'll be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. That's important. Jesus didn't just say over and over that I'm going to rise again, I'm going to rise again. He said it over and over and over again. I'm going to rise on the third day. The third day, the third day, the third day. That's important. He said, well, I don't think it's important. Well, Jesus did. In fact, it was so important. It was so important. Even the chief priests and the Pharisees remembered his words about the third day. In Matthew 27, in verse number 62, now the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate saying, sir, we remember that the deceiver said while he was yet alive, after three days, I will rise again. Command therefore that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, he's risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first. And Pilate said unto them, you have a watch, go your way and make it as sure as you can. I love that line. You do the best you can, boys. He said he was gonna rise from the dead on the third day. You go and you secure it and do the best you can. Well, the best they could wasn't good enough. Because on the third day, he came out of that tomb. Amen. He prophesied over and over and over again. The ministry of Christ was filled with specific references to the third day. This is just one of them. It's in Matthew 16, 21. It's in Matthew 17, 23. It's in Matthew 20 and verse number 19. And that's just Matthew. All throughout his ministry, he kept saying, I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. And I will rise again on the third day. Only reason why I wanted to throw that out there, there may be somebody sitting here this morning and say, well, I don't think it's a big deal. Well, it must be because there's a whole lot of Bible verses about it being on the third day. Get your facts right. Get the truth right. The truth matters. Every detail matters. 
I've said this before. If you can accept error in seemingly small things, you'll accept error in big things. And I don't think the day Jesus died and the day he resurrected is a small thing. I think it's a big thing. Amen. Let's just be careful that we don't let people who don't know their Bible influence our theology. Everybody okay? On the third day, when he came forth from the tomb, he completed, finished, accomplished, finalized, perfected his own prophecies about his own resurrection. What an amazing, what an amazing thing. Secondly, write this down. On the third day, salvation's plan would be perfected. Salvation's plan. By the way, God has a plan for salvation. And it's very specific and it's very clear. Now, man has a plan. Religion has a plan. Denominations has a plan. But God has a plan. The Bible has a salvation plan and it still holds today. And guess what it involves? The death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said on the third day, I'll be perfected. I'll be finished. I'll be complete. It'll be accomplished. What a great promise. In Hebrews chapter number two, the Bible tells us in verse nine and 10, for we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the sufferings of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. That's talking about Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me, if you would, over to the book of 1 Corinthians. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians right quick. I want to show you something about the importance of the resurrection when it comes to salvation's plan. The resurrection is vitally important to the plan of salvation. And there are people today, listen, there are people today, there are Bible, so-called Bible colleges and seminaries today. Are you listening to me? There are places today where people are training for the ministry that deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. They deny the resurrection. They say that it, doesn't, that it didn't happen. They'll even say that Jesus swooned when he was on the cross and he didn't really die and they put him in that grave and that three days later he came to, he regained consciousness in the tomb. Can I tell you something? The Bible is clear in multiple places that Jesus died on the cross and he was resurrected from the dead. And it is important that you and I believe that. When you take that out of the Bible, when you deny that fundamental truth, you can't get saved. I'm dogmatic about that this morning. The Bible is too. The apostle Paul was also dogmatic about that. Without the resurrection, there will be no salvation. Are you in 1 Corinthians 15? Are you there? Here's what the Apostle Paul said. I'm going to give you, give you quickly just something out of this right here and then we'll be done. But I want you to listen to me. We see in verse number one down through verse number 11, we see the message of the resurrection. Paul said, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also ye are saved. If you keep in memory what I've preached unto you, unless I've preached in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. 
And then he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. And after that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. And after that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me. These are the witnesses that saw him after the resurrection, hundreds of them. We see the message of the resurrection, verse 1 through 11. We see the misinformation of the resurrection. There's always been misinformation, by the way. When, when they discovered Jesus' body was gone, they, the Bible says that they started spreading lies and telling everybody that the disciples had stolen him. And they, and they, I mean, fake news didn't start with CNN. They was fake news all the way back at the resurrection. Spreading lies and misinformation and disinformation and deceit. Is everybody okay? Bible says in verse number, uh, where are we at? Verse number um, 12. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? Look at verse 35. But some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool. That which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. He's dealing with misinformation about the resurrection. We see the message of the resurrection. We see the misinformation of the resurrection. But then we see verses 14 down through verse number 26, the magnitude of the resurrection. That's where I want to get. You say, well, I just don't believe it's that big of a deal. The main thing is that Jesus died. The main thing is that he died on the cross and the sacrifice of our sins. That's the main thing. No, 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 no. The apostle Paul would beg to differ. Look at what it says in verse number 14. Are you there? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if it be so that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished, if in this life only... We have hope in Christ. We are of all men most miserable, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Here's what Paul said. Paul said, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we're all still lost. And everybody that's died that said they got saved, they're in hell. They didn't get saved if Christ be not risen. But he said Christ is risen. We serve a risen Savior this morning. Amen. He came forth out of that grave and he came victorious over death, hell, and the grave. It's important. And that's what Jesus was talking about in our text when he said, on the third day I'll be perfected. When I come out of that tomb, salvation's plan will be complete. I wonder this morning, have you put your faith and trust in the resurrected Savior? Because in order to be saved, the Bible's clear in Romans chapter number 10. Here's what it says in Romans 10 verse number 8. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth. And in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. Watch this. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It is absolutely essential that you believe in the death, burial, and bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ in order to be saved. 
if you deny the resurrection, you deny the gospel, and you can't be saved. We still preach the gospel at Calvary Baptist Church. And we preach a whosoever will gospel, amen. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You may be here this morning, it's your first time. You're at Calvary Baptist Church, you've never been here before. You look around, don't know what's going on, don't know anybody, that's fine. God knew you was going to be here. He may be knocking on your heart's door this morning, inviting you to salvation. Because the Bible's very clear. Listen to me, there's only one way to heaven. It's through Jesus Christ. It's not the best way, not the coolest way, the neatest way, the most intriguing way, the easiest way, the hardest way. He's the only way. If you get to heaven, you will only get there through believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And anybody that tells you any different is a false teacher and a false prophet, and they are a liar and a deceiver. And ever since the resurrection, the devil's been trying to squelch this message and this truth of the resurrection. So much so now that a large percentage of people graduating from these so-called Bible institutes and Bible seminary, I call them cemeteries, graduate denying the bodily resurrection of professors. Well, I've studied. I've studied. I've been studying. I've done some research. They put their glasses down on the end of their nose and makes them look, makes their IQ jump about 40 points. I've been doing some research. And my conclusion after putting God and the gospel and the Bible in a test tube is that he didn't have to raise from the dead in order for us to go to heaven. He's a liar, 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 pants on fire. You gotta believe in the resurrection. There may be somebody here this morning, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You say, I'm a good person. Or maybe say, I'm a member of a church or I, I do this or I did that. That's fine, but have you been born again? Have you been saved by the grace of God? Until you accept Jesus Christ, the, the Jesus Christ of the Bible, the gospel of the Bible. Until you have put your faith and trust in the finished work of Calvary. Not in your good works, not in our efforts and all of our good deeds, but only in Christ. And in Christ alone do we put our faith. Yeah. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Jesus died on the cross. Three days later, he came victorious out of the grave so that you and I wouldn't have to spend eternity in a place called hell. We deserve to go to hell because we're sinners. That's where we deserve to go. But Jesus died for us. God loved us so much he sent his son to die on a cross to save us from our sin so we could spend eternity with him in heaven. Isn't that wonderful? And he's extending to you this morning. He's offering to you this morning the free gift of salvation. If you'll just put your faith and trust in him and ask him to save you, to repent of your sins and call out to him this morning. He will save you, change your life like you cannot imagine. We were talking to Ron and Lauren. Can I share that? Can I share a little bit of your testimony, Lauren? And she had me crying. She had me in tears. She says, I didn't know how lost I was till I got saved. I did not know how lost I was. I was, she says, I was so lost. And she got saved the Tuesday after missions conference. And she said, all of a sudden the Bible makes sense. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, I love being at church. All of a sudden, I know God and I can feel God's presence and hear God talk to me. She said, now, I'm not looking at my watch saying, when's he gonna get done? She says, I, when you say bow your head and close your eyes, she says, I'm like, is he done already? She says, I love it, I love it. She says, I just hate that we have to wait all the way till Wednesday night to come back. I hate when Wednesday night we have to wait till Sunday to come back. I just wish we could have church every night. What happened? She got saved. God changed her life. Yeah. 
she had, she had me crying. She said, God changed my life. That's what God can do for you. Help put your marriage back together. Transform your life. We'll get into a little bit more about that part of it tonight, Lord willing, in the five o'clock service. But right now, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We've got several baptismal candidates. If you would, quickly make your way down. Get ready to be baptized. You've got several minutes. You're not in a hurry. We've got baptism coming up. You've got time right now to do business with God. There may be someone, there may be someone right now in the service. Say, Pastor Shiflet, I'm not sure if I died right now. I would go to heaven. I hope I would go to heaven. I think I would go to heaven, but I cannot say for 100% certainty that I would go to heaven. And I would appreciate it if you would pray for me. With people coming to the altar, people in the altar praying and kneeling right now, would you, right where you're at, would you just raise your hand, Pastor Shiflet? I'm not sure if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. I hope I would. I, I want to. I see that hand. Anybody else? Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure. We wouldn't embarrass you for a million dollars, honestly. We just want to help you this morning. We're here to help you get that settled if that's something that you're not sure about. Pastor Shiflet, I'm not sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. And you don't know when you're going to die. James said life is like a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Say not what shall be on the morrow. Don't, don't, don't bet on tomorrow. Don't say, well, I'll get saved next week or I'll get saved when I get older or I'll get saved when I, got, when I get done living my life. I got some living I want to do. You don't know you're going to be alive. The gas may be in the gas tank of the hearse that's going to take your body to the cemetery. Are you ready to meet God this morning? Have you accepted his gift of salvation? We heard this morning what happens when people reject God. After a while, God's patience runs out. I would hate to stand before God one day having attended a Calvary Baptist Church Sunday morning Easter service where the gospel was presented, rejected Christ, rejected what he did for you on the cross and try to explain that to a God in heaven why you didn't get saved. I beg you today, today is the day of salvation. Don't harden your heart, please. Let God transform your life. Anybody else? Pastor Shifflett, I'm not sure if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. Pray for me, please. Would you slip your hand up? I don't want to miss anybody. Folks are being prayed with. Folks are being dealt with. 